now, time for seafood news. You're listening to the Seafood News Weekly Podcast, brought to you by the new retail experience that is now live on the premier protein market intelligence platform, Comtel. A newly enhanced and comprehensive retail experience gives subscribers access to retailer-based IRI scanner data with an in-depth and accurate view of the buying process, offering a more intimate understanding of consumer spending habits. Housing over 1,000 items from over 50 retail grocers across 67 cities, the new Comtel Retail Dashboard will be packed with weekly updates across seafood, beef, pork, poultry, and eggs, among other protein sectors. To learn more, reach out to an account manager at sales at earnerberry.com today. I'm Seafood News Managing Editor Amanda Buckle. And I'm Ernerberry Seafood Market Reporter Lauren Castiglione. And we're talking all things GSMC. That's right. We are fresh off the plane, literally, from, from beautiful Palm Good Springs. Good thing this isn't a video. Is <laughs> yeah, we say. would not be making a video right now. Um, but we were in beautiful Palm Springs, California, where the National Fisheries Institute held their 2023 Global Seafood Market Conference. Um, or I guess technically it was La, La Quinta. Um, yes. But the point is, it was a fantastic event, per usual. Um, you know, I, I love Boston. I love the booths. I love getting to meet new people. But GSMC is definitely my favorite event to go to. It's just because the presentations are just truly fantastic and, and so educational. I agree. I mean, this year was a little different uh, experience for me. Usually I get to go and enjoy and no nerves, don't have to worry about anything. I can go have a cocktail after dinner. But this week I was, or yeah, I was on a panel. And so there was no fun for, for me. <laughs> you were stressing about it, but then you got up there and you were a rock star, Lauren. Thank you. Very Thank cool, you. confident. You. <laughs> Your voice didn't waver. I know when I speak, sometimes my voice gets shaky at the beginning, but right, you start, she started off with a joke. I think anybody who was there can, will agree that you were fantastic, Lauren. It was, it was a bit dorky, but I had to do something to like, lighten my mood, lighten the, the mood of the crowd. You did it. So. I was, I was cheering in the back. Woo. I heard. Fish. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our podcast. We just basically just wanted to give Lauren all the credit for, for yep. getting up on Have the stage. Good, so. good week guys. <laughs> so please message Lauren with all your praise <laughs> and thanks for listening. <laughs> no, but, uh, but seriously, no, it was, you, you did great. But, um, it was uh, it was nice to see people. I, it was definitely a bigger turnout than than last year because um, COVID uh, was still a little rampant last year. So I think a lot of people were were afraid. Um, so yeah, was, I think there were over four hundred and fifty registrants this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, and it and it was actually perfect timing because many in the industry then had the chance to meet NFI's new president and CEO Lisa Walenda Pickard. So um, and we're actually going to feature an interview with Lisa in the upcoming spring issue of Erner Barry's Reporter. Um, but I thought it was really interesting listening to her background during the uh, the NFI leadership panel. I, th- I thought that was a great panel. Oh yeah, she she definitely has an impressive resume. Um, I'm and I'm excited to see what she does um, at NFI with her unique perspective. It definitely seemed like she was excited to meet the uh, with the members. Um, you know, she said that was a priority, and she, uh, she wants to dive into some of the big issues like simp uh, that's facing the industry. And I know she mentioned something about uh, former President John Connolly being a giant among men. And and there's no denying that John, um, I mean, along with the rest of the team at NFI, I mean, they're all fantastic. Um, but he really built an amazing foundation. Um, but I, I agree. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where, where Lisa can, can take us next. So um, 
for the panels. Uh, I really enjoyed the presentation from Chris Dubois of IRI on Seafood Through the Shopper's Eyes, uh, which focused on what's been going on with inflation and how it's been impacting seafood. Uh, I was talking with, about with like uh, some people about just eggs too, because <laughs> right now, I mean, like, you know, obviously there's price, so many memes about eggs. There's so many memes about eggs. But, <laughs> but with seafood, I mean, I feel like I'm biased. I'm like, I'm always going to buy buy seafood but i do pick now and choose and like i'm like okay well i don't need this right now but i can go for something a little bit cheaper um i know i look at promotions i'm, I'm always buying gortons for my kids um so we eat a lot of like the frozen uh, value added and but like oh, I, yeah. I buy what's on sale and i was saying like i'm like eggs like i'm like I, the price could be 12 dollars a carton and i'm I'm still like i'm like well i need eggs you know I'm still, I'm still buying it but with seafood like people don't have that luxury they're like i'm just not gonna i'm just not gonna buy this right now um so i thought it was really interesting listening to that presentation um and and that's i mean it's the hard truth that seafood really struggled at retail in 2022 both in, in frozen and refrigerated and 2023 is, is going to be kind of just as tough right so some of the future challenges that Chris highlighted was that millennials buy less than boomers. Um, then you have to factor in the growth of online shopping, the influence of social media, and the go- the ongoing in-home consumption as people try to save money. I know they kept talking about older millennials versus younger millennials. Um, I guess we're in the older millennial group. And they kept looking straight at us when they said it. <laughs> <laughs> There's also someone mentioned something about like, um, you're, millenni- you know, you're living with your millennials at home or something like that. I'm like, I hope no right. one is living with their millennials at and home. And I was like, that means you have a 40-year-old child still living with you. That is not okay. <laughs> Or you not. have your ages mixed up. <laughs> yeah, I hope that is not the case. Um, I, know. I think every, I think sometimes certain people generalize millennials as any of the younger generations. And it's like, no, millennials are now like, you know, 40 year old moms and dads with tons of kids and we're not we're not straight out of college anymore. It's not us. That's not us. And we demand respect. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, you, you're hitting these different. And I think people have to. I think there's a lot of confusion about what these what these areas are. But you need to target a different group, and we need to be able to reach this this group of older and younger millennials. And a lot of it is through social media. Um, yeah. and you're, you're hearing a lot of uh, either organizations or companies that are are changing their their social media content and kind of direct it um you know more towards these age groups to kind of get their attention they're going more on tiktok and i think we're going to be seeing more of that in the future because that's just where you have to go um and something like that ties into the ongoing in-home consumption you know like a lot of people are still working from home you know so like let's let's figure out some lunches let's make some tiktok lunch recipes i I was just gonna say you and i need to go on tiktok because there's so many like viral food trends that happen like overnight. I feel like we could really make something here. I am too old for TikTok. (laughs) I know. I still don't know how to use it, but it seems like people go viral quicker on TikTok. And I mean, I'm always like, you know, I sent you that, that veggie sandwich that was going viral. There's like, I'm always trying these new things and they blow up and it's like, all right, let's start focusing on seafood for those things. Yeah. No, that's all right. I'm, I'm making it happen in 2023. All you right. heard it here first. You lead the way and I will follow. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Let's get into the panels. Um, the shellfish panel was fantastic. Um, it featured Erna Berry's very own Janice Schreiber. She was awesome. Amazing. 
so good. But she's like, she's a professional up there. I had no doubt she was going to kill it. She's been up there so many times. Um, But from a news perspective, I mean, there's so much going on with Shellfish that that panel had so much to go with. Um, It was an hour and a half, I think, the panel, but they could have probably devoted a full day to Shellfish. Easily, easily, because they were going through those slides so quick. Um, So, yeah, like snow crab, the world snow crab supply estimate is 300 million pounds. The warming pattern of the Bering Sea is really hitting Alaska then factor in the lack of surveys during COVID. And it's really no surprise that the fishery was closed this year. Um, But I thought it was interesting that uh, Jeremy Woodrow with ASME suggested that it would be maybe four years until the fishery recovers and we can have a harvest. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, Yeah. Fortunately, Canada is predicting the the resource to be stable um, because we still have the ban on Russian product and they are primarily sending their supply now to Asian markets. Um, and then King Crab, on the other hand, like, woof, like at least, at least we have Canada for snow crab, right. but King Crab, yikes. Yeah. So Russia is the main supplier of King Crab to the U.S. And who knows when we'll be getting that product again. Um, it was brought up that there is still a lot of uncertainty. I mean, for starters, the band has to be lifted and that's not happening until Russia ends their attack on Ukraine. But then the question was brought up, will consumers be willing to purchase it will certainly be interesting to see, um, you know, do, do they quickly forget, you know, do you just not highlight where the product's from? I mean, it's yeah, it, I think it depends on on the outlet there. Like if it's right there on the packaging, maybe consumers will be hesitant a little bit. Um, I don't know. In my opinion, I don't I don't know if if they will. But, um, you know, you remove Russian crab from the uh, king crab from the equation. Norway only has a five million pound quota, which is insignificant. And then Alaska king crab just continues to see all time low volumes. I mean, it was noted that snow crab could potentially have a harvest again in four years, but it's suspected that king crab could be longer than snow crab. Um, and they believe that larger sizes are not going to exist for a good amount of time. Um, now, obviously, this is a big impact on the state of Alaska. I mean, it's the first time both fisheries closed. So not good news at all. But it's like I said, all really interesting to hear. Yeah. And then we have lobster. They could have definitely had an entire panel just dedicated to lobster. Um, now, there is some good news. 2022 was trending back to normal and the landing uh, landings outlook for 2023 should be consistent with a 50-50 split of live and processed. But you have to remember that bait and fuel prices are hitting fishermen, which is a tough blow on the top of all the North Atlantic right whale and gear issues. I thought Annie Salikas was fantastic up there talking about reclaiming the narrative. Oh, my gosh. She's so passionate. I loved it. She's great. Um, and, and the insight on ropeless gear that she brought up, too, and, and how it's not a quick and easy fix. I mean, everyone just sees like ropeless gear like, yeah, do it. But there, right. I mean, there's so many there's so many. I mean, besides, obviously, the the. The money factor. I mean, I didn't realize how many issues um, that you can run into with it. Um, so it, that, I thought that was that was really interesting too. Yeah, she did a great job there. And now, uh, Lauren, you were part of the whitefish panel, like we brought up, and this is where my pu- my pun comes in. You did <laughs> fantastic, Lauren. Um, so, Yay! <laughs> so we talked a little bit about you were nervous, but once you got up on the stage, how'd you feel? I felt good on stage. It was. I, I remember when I was, you know, presenting and I like, like thought to myself, I'm like, wow, I'm not shaking. I'm not like my knees aren't like quivering. I'm not hearing my voice shake. So I was like, guys, like it's happening. I'm getting more comfortable. <laughs> I'm doing it. But that morning, like I woke up at 3.30 in the morning and I was just like wide awake. My body was just like, 
it's presentation day and the nerves just turned on. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'm just practicing from here on out. The poor people in the next room over were probably like, tell her to be quiet. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was great. Like anybody who, whose ear I could catch, you know, I told them that I was nervous and everybody was so supportive. And so after, um, you know, after it was all done, everybody came, not everybody. I mean, I know we like to, to brag about like people loving us, but <laughs> so many people came up to me and were like, you did great. And they introduced themselves. And I was just like, so overcome with joy and like love for this industry because everyone was just so nice. Like, you know, um, Kim Gordon, you know, even reached out and was like, you did great. And I'm like, this woman who's like running a whole company and empire, like took time out of her day and, and, you know, pulled me aside. And I was like, I, I just, I love you all. <laughs> it was, it was such a great experience. And I don't want to give my boss any credit for, for pushing me into this unwillingly. Um, but no, I, I did tell Jimmy, I said, you know, thank you. Thank you for the nudge. Um, it, it was great exposure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, some of the notable points in Whitefish, um, let's see. So both World Harvest and um, production out of China for tilapia are uh, positioned to hit new records in 2023. Um, there is a shift in volume from tilapia into Pangasius, where Pangasius is uh, dominating the market share uh, and position two in 2022. Um, Pollock, we're seeing an increased quota in 2023, which should lead to a 5% increase in catch, which is awesome news. Um, and then on cod and haddock, Russia product is still missing from the marketplace. Um, so putting continued pressure on supply. And then haddock tariff exclusion has now been extended until September. So just throwing that, that headache down the line, kicking the can down the street. And yeah, and so GSMC was a success. I, I didn't pass out on stage. You were a great support. Amanda's blazer that I wore looked great on me. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It really did. It's yours. It's yours now to keep. It's yes. <laughs> and that does it for us. So I guess we'll be seeing everybody else in Boston. See you later, guys. Mm -hmm.